And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with And More. Also from The Athletic, you are listening to the Beyond the Scrum, a show about baseball and more. How's it going? It's really great to be here on Andy McCullough and more. I, I am really honored to join you, um, you know, from, from the more section here in the upper tank. Um, thank you for having me, Andy. I think really. it's great that you're finally in the position in which you've always belonged, which is backing me up. As your caddy. Yes. yes. Yeah. Running yes. quotes for me. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. <laughs> Making sure the coffee's fresh. Uh <laughs> Giving you back reads. Yep, yep, yep. Writing the notebook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did an, that to you once. <laughs> in another era, in another era that used to be called being someone's wags. Ah, oh, that's right. There's yeah. AZ wags. Lot, yeah. um, <laughs> there was Cincinnati wags. Who's actually just, the same that, guy? That was the same man. It's, it's Zach Buchanan. <laughs> who's our teammate? <laughs> so same guy. Uh, Poor guy. What a tough break. Anyway, uh, so we'll we'll get it. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, I mean, it's been a eventful 48 hours we're joking mark and i because we uh the two of us along with Brittany giroli with some help from rustin dodd and jim mccaffrey did a story about aj hinch and alex cora coming back um from suspension this week they've both been uh, activated and one of the uh, unfortunate quirks of having three people work on a story together is that the uh our wordpress uh couldn't fit all of our names and so the byline came out as andy mccullough and more which i think was an outcome that none of us really probably felt great about um you sure i didn't oh <laughs> i'll tell you that much right. <laughs> i didn't feel good about it uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the Hinch and Core situation. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some decisions made by Kevin Cash last night. Uh, sort of a, just a, you know, we we're doing the analytics discourse again, Mark. It feels oh, great. God. It feels great. We'll talk about that. Uh, but first, I mean, we just, you can't ignore the, you know, super spreader event elephant in the room. I mean, just, uh, just a sort of the most fitting and painful and exhausting way to end this baseball season. Um, Justin Turner tested positive for COVID-19 yesterday. Uh, During game six, he was removed in the seventh inning. The Dodgers won, and then Turner came back onto the field uh, to take photographs with the team. Often uh, he was spotted for a significant portion of time not wearing a mask, he has very much upset Major League Baseball. Uh, they just put out a statement. Is that right, Mark? That is correct, and it was not yeah. a pat on the back. Can you can you explain kind of what Major Major League Baseball said? We literally just got this right before we started recording. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just paraphrase it. Sure. Uh, we did everything right. Um, no, it was. Yeah, you know, what, they, yeah. just walk. <laughs> they just walked through the protocols and basically made it clear that uh, Justin Turner did something very, very wrong, and and said it in pretty. Uh, 
emphatic terms. And so there's going to be an investigation that begins. The Players Association is going to be involved in it. And as we know, um, when, when they put out that operations manual, right, the protocols at the start of all of this, um, there are actually provisions in there about discipline. And it sounds like they're going to invoke some of that. So yeah. short version, Justin Turner might be in a bit of trouble here. And given the behavior that he displayed last night, um, you know, probably should be because that's a, that was a bad look. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> as, as we talk about a lot on this show, multiple things can be true. And so I think uh, obviously, you know, the decision to come back out onto the field as an active COVID-19 case is incredibly irresponsible. And it, it's the sort of decision that uh, I imagine in hindsight, you know, Turner will probably regret to some extent. Um, and I, I do believe, though, that as a society, and this is kind of a, this is emblematic of something we've been dealing with as a society almost all this year, which is the inability of institutions to protect us against basically people making bad decisions, you know? So, uh, you know, like (laughs) just sort of the way that the institutions kind of throw up their hands and say, well, you know, how, how are we going to stop him? You know, how are we going to stop him? Well, this seems like a pretty reasonable thing to plan for. Uh, you know, there was so much talk about how, you know, thick the protocols were and how extensive they were. It seems pretty reasonable that there would be a situation like this. It's, it's not a, you know, a likelihood. I don't think it's not some sort of thing like, oh, we all saw this coming. But if your point is to plan for worst case scenarios, this is up there. And so the fact that he was basically just able to say, no, I'm not staying here. How is there not, how is he allowed to remain in the stadium after he tests positive? How is he not escorted out of the stadium by uh, doctors and security officials clad in full PPE who are able to remove him? You know, why are there not security guards with PPE preventing a super spreader event? And so I feel like Major League Baseball has been waiting for months to declare victory and they deserve credit for some of the things they've changed but so much of it was just based on individuals behaving and when they had a person misbehaving they didn't really have a recourse and it's just a it's a very exhausting thing i think for all of us for fans to have to continue to see this and you know for people who you know can't hug their parents can't visit people you know to to see this level of misbehavior i think it's it's just very very frustrating yeah, my first instinct is to empathize. Um, you know, the Los Angeles Dodgers just won a World Series championship, and yeah. Justin Turner has been obviously a really big part of that franchise, Absolutely. right? I mean, and and that's all true. Um, but, it, you know, that's the unfortunate part of this pandemic, too, is I think we all know people, we, I'm sure, can list a bunch of things that we missed out on because of this terrible time in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we've all had to wear it to a certain extent, obviously. Um, And so when you watch somebody brazenly decide, well, I'm not going to wear it today. um, I get getting caught up in celebration and what they achieved yesterday was monumental. And frankly, I would just love to talk about that. But because 2020 has been a bastard, of course it would end this way, where instead of celebrating without qualifications how tremendous the Los Angeles Dodgers are, which they are. Mm-hmm. Good um, club. We have to sidetrack into this stuff. Right. And and it's almost like, well, what else is there to say? He, he exercised 
poor judgment right. in front of the whole world. Right. Um, it's bad. It's 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 difficult yeah, to but comprehend. It's also, but it's well, it's it's actually fairly simple to comprehend. I mean, like everyone makes bad decisions all the time. You know, I have atrocious impulse control. You should see me around a bag of chips. You know, like I make terrible choices that I know are bad for my health and my livelihood all the time. They almost always involve food, but you know what I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, none of us make all good decisions at all times. He made a bad decision and there had to be more in place to prevent him from getting to this point, whether it's from Major League Baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the, you know, the county health officials, you know, the, the union, whomever. There has to be more guardrails in place to protect against an individual making a bad decision. And so I think, you know, he's going to have to wear the brunt of it. Major League Baseball is going to rip him. They might, you know, fine him or whatever. And, like, that's something that, you know, he'll have to deal with individually. He'll have to sort of explain his actions. It's very understandable. He was feeling no symptoms. He just completed a life's goal. You know, all of his teammates, his, the people that he's gone through this experience are out there. He wants to be part of it. I get it. It makes a lot of sense. That doesn't mean it's the right choice. It doesn't mean it's okay, but it's certainly, you know, easy to understand. There just has to, we have to be able to protect others from individuals who make poor decisions. And we've just, as a society, failed so badly at that over this year. Well, we saw this coming because a lot of what you just said there, this is the discourse that was surrounding all of this stuff at the beginning. Mm-hmm. When when the plans came out and the protocols came out and it was clear that so much of the burden to comply was on the individual. Yes. Um, yeah, that, it, was, that it, was their plan, was basically uh, yeah. they put it all on you. On the, yeah, and so I think what we saw last night uh, was just the worst case scenario unfolding right. on national television on a giant stage when it should have just been about this really great celebration and this kind of break from all the bullshit. Yeah. Um, and look, I, I think you and I both expressed our reservations about the baseball season. But one thing I will say they did get right is that if the point or part of the point was to provide some distraction in this incredibly shitty time, they did it. Um, Mm. But because it is this incredibly terrible time, again, it comes with a qualification. Again, there is this blemish on it that you can't ignore. And I just, I find it all to be, you used it earlier, exhausting. It's, this is all so exhausting. And, Uh, in one way demoralizing because it's like god can we just have this one (laughs) cool thing like we had two teams that played their asses off man it's a good series very very it was a really good series and like as someone who talked about the quality of baseball not being up to snuff it really felt nice because for all the stuff that led up to it this felt like a world series right um it looked like it it felt like it they played like it the intensity was there we saw great games we saw people step up we saw controversy we saw weird things happen like it's everything you could possibly want and yet there is you know the year found a way to put another blemish on it which sucks i mean that that's a tough one right um yeah let's let's get to i mean i don't know what what else is there to say like the guy made a really bad decision and there was no one to stop him and that reflects poorly on both parties major league baseball is going to go after him and you know and 
try and probably levy some sort of punishment and the union will probably back them and we'll be in the same corners that we're always in just sort of uh, sitting on, on the couch, you know, wondering why we give a shit about this stuff. Well, uh, yeah. well, I mean, where was the but, club in this, right? Where, where I mean, the, the club, team, yeah, to me, like, like there were team officials yeah. that let it go. I mean, yeah, you can't I just, that. Andrew Friedman's explanation was just not, it was not up to snuff. I mean, I, no. I, I understand sort of the broad strokes of his point was that, well, we felt if he came out, you know, we're all in the contact tracing web, so we all have to, you know, get tested anyway. Uh, but it's like, well, okay, we're the, you know, we're the pregnant wives in there. We're, you know, we're the, you know, the the older, you know, people like we're people on the coaching staff who might not interact with them. I mean, it's just like, okay, but you're basically coming out and saying like, well, we all knew we had COVID anyway because of this possibly, and it's just I don't. Um, I don't know. I, I, I empathize or sympathize or whichever the word is for these guys who want to celebrate their life's achievement, you know, and not have to worry about sort of the the real world creeping in. Um, but they're also all grownups. And this is what they signed up for this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Like that's. Uh, I'm sick of it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. exhausted of it, Andy, really and truly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about something that's really, really fresh and interesting, Mark. Oh, no. Analytics. No. They're back. No. They're back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) What are we, week two into anti-rant, my anti-rant declaration? You have zero chance of making it through. No, I'm going to make it through. I'm going to make it through. Okay, so so Mark, uh, so here's what happened, right? Uh, Last night... Blake Snell pitching a very, very, very good baseball game. He'd gone through five and a third innings. He'd struck out nine batters. I believe the first three batters in the Dodgers lineup were 0 for 6 with six strikeouts, which is not great. He gives up a, you know, a well-struck single up the middle to Austin Barnes, and Kevin Cash is out of the dugout and pointing to the bullpen, and I literally screamed at my TV, like, huh? Like, what? Because I couldn't. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It's, I understand that teams have a process. I understand that they know more about their people than we do. But I cannot recall a decision in a postseason game that made that, – that, that more ignored the facts on the ground. Does, I mean, is there any that come to mind? Like, there's mistakes that happen in the postseason all the time. And, you know, there's there's managers, you know, make goof-em-ups and, you know, they, they pick the wrong guy, they send the wrong guy up, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But, like, on that stage, 
I, I was flabbergasted. I really was. You know, the only thing that comes close, and it was still more understandable, was Terry Collins, Matt Harvey against the Royals. Not even remotely close. Uh, well, not I mean, he even walked in the, the guy same, and left him in the ball game. Like, not I, I, even in the same universe. Oh, I don't know if it's that far off. I agree that they're not close. But you, the question was, is there anything that's somewhat comparable? In my mind, that was at least somewhat comparable. Now, I agree about last night. I think we had the same reaction to that. And I, and I might have scared my daughter and wife. <laughs> I was just like, oh, no. Like that, Actually, that's what I said. Oh, no. Because yeah. they show the shot of... Uh, of cash coming out and he doesn't even hesitate he's already he's, he's signaling pointing. the move yeah yeah and he's like one step onto the field and <laughs> uh so okay like I, I first of all i guess i'm not going to get into this tired debate about analytics because that's like you know they're, they're so ingrained in the sport and and as they should be uh, that it's like stupid to even rail against that. And what I think is unfortunate is that this is the kind of incident where the people who are arrogant enough to think that, you know, data has no place in this, mm -hmm. they're just going to use this as evidence as, uh, to, to prove that they're right, and it's garbage, okay? Mm -hmm. It's total garbage. Now, that said, um, you know, this starts to feel like the end of Animal Farm to me, where <laughs> the people and pigs can't recognize each other from one another because... Like what I always appreciated about analytics and, and that movement in the sport and why I think it made the sport better is that it made you question assumptions. It made you really think through, hey, we know that tradition says X, but is it rooted in something else? Like, can, is there something to counterbalance that to, to really scrutinize it? And I think what's kind of been refreshing is that as time passes, more often than not, you see that things that are traditional actually line up with what you would see statistically. Like mm -hmm. there are things that where they go you know, hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But I appreciated it and went and gravitated toward it because I, I love the concept of questioning these established, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever, beliefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. right, exactly, shibboleths. So what really drives me crazy though is now... Those people that were once the class of the questioning class, so to speak, right. are now the game's ruling class. Mm. Mm. And and so why is it then that when they've railed for two decades about how you have to have an open mind, you need to be comfortable challenging your beliefs, the second that it's turned around, they can't handle it. <laughs> and it bothers me. That really, really bothers me on a fundamental level. So last night was about as close to indefensible yeah. a move as I can think of, okay? Yet, there are people that dig in and defend it to the death, and frankly, that does not sound any different to me than that guy 20 years ago telling you that you were full of shit when you said walks mattered. Yeah. It, like, it, you it's know. exactly the same tenor. Our friend uh, Adam Kilgore from the Washington Post had a really good tweet last night. He, he said something to the effect of, you know, what Kevin Cash did was far more dogmatic than anything Joe Morgan ever said on Sunday Night Baseball, you know. And so I want to say something about analytics. Carlos Beltran actually put this really well. I think it was last year. He's like, I don't call it analytics. I call it information because that's mm -hmm. what it is. It's information. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like it's mm-hmm. just information used to make decisions. So this idea, right, of the third time through the order penalty, it's something that a lot of, you know, I've had like long discussions with like Oral Hershiser about this. And he's made like cogent points about how, you know, like um, the stat is not, is not as descriptive as you'd think. Because it, you know, because you're not granted the full sample size, things like that. So, like, take the the third time through the order penalty, right? There's information that suggests that certain pitchers are worse the third time they see hitters. This is a pretty, like, roundly accepted sort of truism. And Blake Snell is one of those guys who really struggles. Now... If you talk to a lot of veteran pitchers, which is some, you know, or former pitchers, like I've had long conversations with Oral Hershiser about the third time through the order penalty and him basically poking holes and, uh, you know, aspects of the science. And they're not, he doesn't make bad points. There are a lot of, it's context driven. The sample sizes are kind of always small, um, you know, and there's lots of different things that go into it. But there's this idea that Blake Snell is not effective the third time through the order. I was having a conversation with a pitcher couple weeks ago and he was talking about he was talking about a scouting report that a team had on curveballs and they said this team hits curveballs really well and the pitcher said do they hit my curveball really well <laughs> his you know so it's like this team's a really good fastball hitting team okay well have you seen walker bueller's fastball it isn't like most humans fastballs and there's just little you know uh, exceptions to almost every rule. And the job of the big league manager is to pay attention to those exceptions and to understand those exceptions. And no one in that ballpark last night knew Blake Snell better than Kevin Cash and Kyle Snyder. So they had a reason for it. But you need to have a really, really, really airtight case to remove a man pitching that well in that spot. And I think to be honest, the mistake of taking Snell out is not even as problematic as the guy he put into the game. Mm -hmm. Nick Nick Anderson, Anderson, who was the best reliever in baseball for most of the season, but has been pretty clearly toast for a couple weeks now. Um, he didn't even pitch necessarily that bad, but like he, of course, immediately gives it up with you know double, uh, you know wild pitch, you know contact play, et cetera, et cetera. So it's like it just seems so pre-programmed in a way that I don't have a problem with with coming up with a script. I think all managers should come up with a script for these sort of big games. I have a problem when the script doesn't make sense. <laughs> like yeah you should script it out you should have an idea what you want to do you should have a plan but you can have a bad plan and this to me was a bad plan and it also ignored the facts on the ground yeah like it ignored that, what was happening blake snell was destroying the dodgers so Eno saris who i think is heard of him trim, i mean heard of him. yeah he's in the and more category but Eno saris <laughs> oh uh, man be nice to people mark is, I am nice to people. That's true. Uh, and so Eno's great. Like I, I love talking baseball with Eno. I have mad respect for Eno. He wrote something really interesting that got posted this afternoon. 
And in typical Eno fashion, it's a really smart, cogent argument um, or, or analysis of, of the pitching decision. Uh, though, I mean, so like all that said, like I think it's possible to disagree. And there was something, there was a couple points in it that I really took exception with. And, and one of them was like early in the story, he talks about the stat you mentioned, 0 for 6, 6 strikeouts, right? Mm-hmm. The top two guys in the Dodger lineup, it's not good. Mm-hmm. He's like, that doesn't matter. Um, he talked about Mookie Betts this year having a lower batting average against a left-handed pitcher. And Eno, again, says that doesn't matter. So you get the, the, the point here is that... I actually, these, I'm, I'm fine with these, the splits. These thing. aren't predictive numbers. So yeah. like... I'm fine, with the, I'm fine with the not saying Mookie has a reverse split. Okay, fine. I, like, think, rever- I think reverse splits are kind of hinky. And like, okay. you know, yeah. But like my, my point though is like, okay, and like, because his points make sense. Like I, I'm, not, I'm not disputing the points themselves. It's more tying them to this indisputable idea that predictive is always better. When really what we're talking about, we're talking about predictive stats... How much of the way are we going? They're not telling you the future. They're not. Like, there are some that are more predictive than others. That is true. But it doesn't get you all the way to the goal. It actually doesn't get you anywhere close. Uh, So that's my problem, is we act as if there's no gray area here. We act as if, well, the predictive stuff says X. That's what it is. No, that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a better chance that that's what it is and there's more proof that that's what it is. But let's also acknowledge that there's a lot of gray in here. Yeah. And and so we're at the end of the day dealing with people and they're inherently going to have a lot of gray area. So it's like, I'm only going to name his name. There's a beat writer uh, um, that I heard the story about, used to cover the Yankees, terrified of bridges. Like actually had a phobia about bridges. And so if you were to carpool with the guy you have to like take certain routes to avoid the sun sky, sunshine skyway bridge, for instance, that you mentioned last week, because it was terrifying to that person. And so it's very easy to be like, well, bridges don't matter. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. Like it's, it, it's going to be fine. But if you're in a car with somebody who thinks that it matters and you're driving, guess what? It matters whether you want it, you, whether you want it to or not. And so when you're dealing with ball players, you're dealing with competitors in the middle of all of this, Yes, you want to say, well, that you know the, the, the splits don't matter. Uh, what's happened in this game doesn't matter. Whether you're dealing or not dealing doesn't matter. Well, I kind of think it does because yeah. at the end of the day, these are the people that are actually in the fight. They're the, they're the ones that are actually trying to execute the plans. And you can't just shrug your shoulders and say, well, it doesn't matter because you can't measure it. That's a problem. Like and that's to me a huge gap in some of this thinking. And and I'm saying that as somebody who thinks the information makes the game better and not only belongs in the game, but I think it's right that they are used to make these big decisions. I think I'm all I'm with all of that stuff, mm-hmm. but I, I can't take it all the way to the end here. Uh, where I, I, I'm going to say, well, that's what you just use all the time in every scenario. That's clearly not the case. And I think it's really difficult for me to hear some of these arguments defending that thing last night because it seems like they're all predicated on, well, we don't question the numbers. Right. No, that's not, we can't, that's, that's, it, in fact, that kind of thinking is, you know, the complete opposite of why I think the numbers were healthy for the game. Yeah, we should be questioning things. Well, I think you the, the way you framed it is is really. I, I never really had thought of it that way, but but you're right. I mean, like, yeah, you you use the data to 
test out the the you know the 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 truisms about the sport you know and so like we learned like actually your number two hitter shouldn't be a scrappy second baseman who all he can do is hit a hard ground ball to the left side or whatever you know to Mm -hmm. advance the runner um you know like actually like you probably shouldn't be bunting all that often or like you know actually it doesn't and this and teams still haven't figured this out for the most part but it's like it doesn't really matter who pitches the ninth it matters who faces the other team's best hitters you know in the late innings like that one is a, a tougher one to break i think than, mm-hmm. than the others um but like we've learned these things you know we've learned like hey your starting pitcher doesn't need to throw 200 innings this year why don't you have him make 25 starts instead of 32, have enough depth that, you know, this guy will be healthy and ready to go in the postseason? Now there's like sort of anti-labor arguments to that. And that's a whole nother, you know, uh, question of like whether, you know, the information is used to suppress salary. And like, frankly, I don't care. Um, <laughs> well, I do, but I just don't feel like getting into it. I think, though, that the information is helpful, but it has to be part of a blend, right? It has to be a combination of what, the manager sees and what we can all see and what the information suggests you do. And sometimes, you know, you side hard with the numbers and sometimes, you know, you trust your gut or whatever. And I think it's why managing is a very hard job. It's a very, very difficult job. You know, I was talking to a, a former manager this week who basically said, you know, managing sucks. It's hard. You're, you make decisions and then they're almost completely out of your control. And I am empathetic to that. You know, like <clears throat> I talk, uh, you know, talking a lot about Dave Roberts over the years and, and trying to sort of analyze, you know, some of the decisions he's made. Um, I think it has helped me really sort of formulate how I try and uh, assess managerial you know, like competence in the postseason, I think. Because for a very long time, I was one of these guys who, who would be like in the press box being like, can, like, can you believe Joe Madden is letting Jake Arrieta bat here in the fourth? Like, he's going to let him bat, you know? And oh, what? What's he going to pitch? Another inning? Like, I would be the guy who would point out basically every, you know, incremental mistake like can you believe dusty baker's doing this like oh my gosh you know like what does this guy know how to manage does this guy understand leverage and like one that just makes you a very tedious person to deal with and so you should probably just not have that personality it's like just kind of annoying (laughs) i should show you the text from that time period. well yes you get the the text from tim brown you know my friend uh, you know from yahoo just being like don't be that guy please don't and like (laughs) so so acknowledging right that so here's what i would say is that i think all managers make decisions in the postseason that get put under put under very very intense scrutiny and i think that when things go wrong to me they fall into kind of two different buckets there's the marginal bucket and then there's the malpractice bucket (laughs) so like the marginal bucket right is like allowing tyler glass now to go a third time through the order in game one i'm not crazy about it but i think there's like reasons to do it you know i think it like i think it's fine Okay, the malpractice one is sending Pedro Baez back into the seventh inning after he's given up a home run and after you told him he's done for the night. You know, like marginal is telling uh, is going with Kenley Jansen for the ninth inning of game four over Bruce Dar Gratterall. Right. Like you can see it either way. Like, yeah, maybe I would have stuck with Gratterall, but you go with Kenley Jansen. I'm not sure how big 
uh, a difference that makes. It's really just up to the player to execute and also, you know, for the like all world not to break down. Um, malpractice is removing your ace pitcher. I mean, close to an ace, right? He's a Young Award winner. He's an ace. A Cy Young Award winner. He's clo- He's not an ace, but he's like he's <laughs> on a per batter basis. He's an ace. Okay. Okay. Like he's very good. He's really removing good. your Cy Young Award best starting pitcher when he's pitching the game of his life with good shit. By the way, he's not some really soft tossing guy. He's got he's great shit. Getting incredibly soft contact, if any contact at all, and removing him and putting in a guy who has been cooked for mm. about a month. That to me is malpractice, and I think it's just important when, like, especially in uh, what for what we do, where a lot of it is like analyzing the decisions of managers to understand that almost all decisions that they make fall into a gray area where it could it's kind of up to the player, but there are mm-hmm. certain situations where they set players up to fail, mm-hmm. and that yeah. is an important distinction to make. I agree, like it because I think what you're getting at is to be more judicious about these things because it's really easy like you said earlier it's like calling every foul on if you're playing two on two mm-hmm. like you can do that <laughs> but like is that fun like yeah. every time somebody breathes on you in a two on two pickup basketball game you're gonna call a foul like it's no fun at all um so you should reserve the ones for like when someone's drawing blood right okay yeah. then call your foul go right. you know like i think it it speaks to this really bizarre phenomenon and i think we saw it at the end of the game last night um like the trophy presentation okay Mm -hmm. so we hear from the owner who talks for like a half hour he's actually still talking yeah he's still i think he's like getting to like he's through the preamble but he's at las colinas yeah he also like hasn't (laughs) spoken to the media in seven years he like speaks in like one sentences like hello hi yes i do own this team but yeah it was Mm -hmm. nice to hear his nice speech i'd never heard his voice before well, he got seven years worth of quotes. Uh, and then, so then you get the GM and then you get the manager. And it's like not a soul tuned in to see any of those guys. I think, and, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think people want to uh, hear from the manager. Okay, but like you're not tuning in necessarily to go see what Dave Roberts, how is he going to handle this pitching plan today? You're, gonna, you're, like, yeah, you're yeah, going yeah. to go watch Whatever. performers perform. And so what I find interesting is that when we start scrutinizing every little thing that a manager does, um, it just goes into this like weird side obsession amongst people who are really into this to kind of look everywhere else but the performance. Right. Oh, yeah. And and that's what bothers me. So like you at the end, right? Like that's why I bring up the end. It's like, dude, this is about the performers performing. Nobody wants to see the owner. Nobody wants to see Andrew Friedman. Nobody wants to see Dave Roberts. Like, yeah. How about you know Corey Seager? Right. Let's let's see. You know what I mean? Right, like let's right. let's. How what does Clayton, Clayton Kershaw, Kershaw have Clayton to say Kershaw? about this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, so that's <laughs> my problem is like this this sort of yeah um, over obsession with managerial moves, and then you know now we're going into the off season and everybody's going to put on their GM hat. Right. It's like all right, I get if you're like someone who's really into this, it's a fun little parlor game. Yeah, but I think we take it too far sometimes, and and I say we as like you know as media people we do also right yeah. like we, you know because like you can't say you don't know anymore even though to me that's a, that's a true sign of expertise <laughs> right. Right, right right I mean to me it's like you know what you don't know like right. that's what makes you an expert at something yeah. is acknowledging hey man 
I'm not real sure. Yeah. And here's why. Yeah. You know? But you we know, can't do that anymore. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, this is something that I've st- I started to really think about in the last, you know, five or six years. But like, what? When did we stop blaming the players? Yeah. Oh my God. You know, like, yeah. and trust it's me, annoying. trust me. Big league managers want to know the answer to this question too. <laughs> like they want to know when we as an industry stopped blaming the players. And like, I know that sounds kind of crass, but like sometimes, you know, in those marginal spots, like sometimes the players are allowed to make a good pitch. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you gave up the platoon split. You can still get that guy out. You know, right. you're allowed. It, it, nothing in the rules says you have to give up a home run here. You know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Well, we pilloried Aaron Boone, yeah. right? Earlier oh, in the playoffs. Oh, for the Hap thing? And it's like, you know, yeah, yeah but you, could, you can go round and round about that, but also Jay Hap could get some guys out. Right. Totally. Yeah, totally. Right? Like, I just mean, this try something like, new and get some dudes out. This is what know. was going on all postseason for the Dodgers with Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin. Just over and over again. What? And why are the Dodgers doing this? They keep messing with them. You know, how come they just aren't they're not using them the way they should be blah 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 and it's like well maybe the dodgers are making these decisions based on the fact that may and gonsolin aren't pitching that well mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> like mm-hmm. maybe that is part of it and you know it's like no because no one i guess because like we have a sort of empathy that no one wants to rip dustin may and like i'm not saying he should be ripped but you know what i mean like our impulse right. is like well he's a 22 year old kid you know like i don't want to just like blame that kid you want to blame like a grown-up you know, mm-hmm. so you blame the manager, you blame the GM. You don't want to rip like the the young man who's like clearly trying his best, but sometimes like the guy trying his best is the reason stuff's going awry. And I'm using right. May as an example. He actually pitched you know very well in, in the latter part of the series. So I don't want to just like put him up as the poster child of you know the redheaded poster child of failure. He's <laughs> got a bright young future ahead of him. But I'm just mm-hmm. kind of saying that like. I think we we tend to criticize the authority figure rather than the person on the field, mm-hmm. probably because in a lot of cases we could never imagine being a pitcher in a big league game. But I can imagine being a GM. Mm-hmm. Like right, yeah, right. One is more accessible than the other. Well, it's just like I mean, yeah, I could be a experience. I could do like sure. a smart thing, like not sign Joe Kelly. You know, like it's whatever. <laughs> like I could do this job. Come on, you know. And uh, so, like I, I think, uh, I think we, you know, it's because of fantasy football. It's because of video games. It's because of all this stuff that we've, you know, inhaled as a, as a sports uh, loving culture over the past twenty years. You know that we that we see things through the executive's eyes, and I think that even goes down to you know the manager, and that kind of infects it. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, I. There was a, a video game maybe five or six years ago, and it was like being a GM. Oh and I was God. thinking, that's a whole game. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that sounds like the worst video game oh my God. ever created. Like, that, I would never, ever, ever <laughs> want to put that in a system, fire it up, and have any expectation of being entertained, because that sounds awful. Yeah, that sounds pretty miserable. But, <laughs> but I'm sure there's a lot of people that, that saw that and thought, man, this is great. I get to be Brian Cashman. It's like, oh man, like that just no offense, Cash. It sounds awful. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sit there and, and and obsess over like non-tenders, fake non. Now, 
granted, like I did play in this like really nerdy, horrible, fake baseball league with a bunch of writers for a while. Yeah. In which you did that kind of yeah. stuff. Which I and, never joined because I had no, no interest in hanging out you, with you dorks. Right. Because, you know, you're never you would never ever get caught with the Anne Moore crowd, ever. No. I mean, you're Andy McCullough. That's why I'm Andy McCullough and you're Anne Moore. Anne Moore. Yeah, it's like the Beyond and poor, Bed Bath and Beyond. Poor she deserved better than that. All right, she hey, really, you know what? She kicked ass on that. Yeah, she did she a good did. job. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, let's talk about uh, a little bit about that story because, uh, uh, you know, thankfully we, we put it out a couple days ago and not today because no one would, be, <laughs> no one would care uh, today. But it is a thing that I think when we come up from this Dodgers sort of uh, super spreader abyss that will be a real sort of issue that is – being debated actively in front offices is how should the industry sort of react to the return of AJ Hinch and Alex Cora. They're both uh, removed from the restricted list as of today. Their one-year suspensions have been served and they are free to work again in Major League Baseball, which presents a pretty difficult conundrum, I think, for the industry of how do you rate these guys? Do you just say, you know, they're on the the pay no mind list, like, you know, we, we can't have you, we can't use you. Or do you say, well, these are intelligent baseball men who, you know, had good reputations before this and, you know, let's get to the bottom of their indiscretions and go from there. I mean, uh, I think based on Twitter reactions and uh, your dumb tweets getting us dunked on by chicken puppet, <laughs> By the chicken guy. Yeah, which is just so embarrassing for me. Uh, that well, that's getting, why I'm that you're getting more. us. You're getting us dunked on by you know leading uh, Twitter guys like Chicken Puppet. Um, I think made, it's made the dudes weak. I think it's just a real. I I it was very interesting. So we did a lot of reporting on this and talked to a lot of different people, and there was a real diversity of opinion. I think, which is probably reflective of how the industry is. But it was interesting, you know, talking to decision makers and executives who felt like. They would be willing to, you know, give these guys another shot and talking to, you know, other executives and some players who were kind of uh, dumbfounded by the idea that they would be allowed in a big league dugout again next year or not allowed, but that they would be, you know, hired to do that job. It's a, it's a I mean, it's I think it's a real conundrum for the industry. Yeah, it is. I, I was just kind of taken aback, not taken aback, but the thing that really stood out to me was just how clear the dividing line was there. Mm-hmm. Because when it came to people that actually make these hires, that have to vet these people, that are in charge of creating the list of viable candidates, those are the ones, to me, that drove the bus for, well, they serve their time. Uh, they're, they're 
eligible to be hired, I don't see why that's not disqualifying. And so actually, like, I just repeated that reporting in my tweet, and Mr. Chicken Puppet Poultry Guy didn't like that. No, I think you didn't he thought, repeat it. No, what you did is you didn't source it. You correct. It I know. Like it was I, your look, opinion. Let me finish. God, I made it seem so embarrassed. Like it was my oh my god, I am so sorry. All right. Like just give me a chance. Damn, Maybe I can get my own byline. He's gonna do it. He's Stop. Gonna do it. I'm getting him going. Not He's gonna, gonna rant it. again. Not gonna do it. But the Mr. Poultry Man was right to crush me for that because I didn't source it and it came off like my own opinion. <laughs> Uh, although, in fairness, I'm not sure that my like my opinion isn't exactly that, but it's also not on the other side of it either. I think it's somewhere in between. Um, but anyway, uh, the takeaway from the story that I thought was super interesting that I should have probably expected this, but like you could draw a pretty clear line between the types of folks that would be okay with this and the types of folks who have some legitimate lingering resent towards this and i think that's the terminology that was used in the story right andy lingering, lingering resentment, resentment yeah. is pretty accurate in a lot of corners of the sport for this and and so yeah it, it's going to be interesting because you're already seeing that these names are floated um you know i asked an executive like if he was surprised by that and he kind of cynically shot back no because it's clickable <laughs> um and i'm sure there's some yeah, it's element a good point. To it's a good point there it yeah it is but I think there's also been enough reporting done to know that that's not totally the case here. Right. I think right. there is legitimate conversation, as you said, about these types of calls, especially mm -hmm. now that they're off the suspended list, they're eligible, they're available. And, and at the end of the day, um, both have displayed qualities that aren't easy to find. Now, we can legitimately debate what makes a great manager some smart dude that's good in front of a camera or great players and right like and i think that's a point that got raised in the story mm -hmm. but i think let's separate that for a second and just remember the perceptions of these people are what they are amongst mm -hmm. people that make decisions and mm -hmm. that perception again amongst people that actually make these decisions is that they are valuable assets we can debate it all we want but folks that make the hires, the reporting that came back to us mm -hmm. told us that they are perceived in that light. And I think that is an important distinction. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, I also do think, though, that we did talk to some people who kind of pointed out, poke some of the holes in that perception. You know, no doubt. Um, no I, mean, doubt. I think it's as simple as like, yes, A.J. Hinch is a, is a very telegenic uh, speaker. He's a very, he's the sort of guy who you like having at the podium. Um, you know, he, I mean, and this is in addition to the other, you know, the tactical skills clubhouse, but like it just, one of the things about him is he's, he was a uh, sort of person who the Astros could put up at a podium and he would not embarrass them, which, mm -hmm. uh, their front office was kind of often doing, especially last year. Um, but then you contrast that with sort of how he shot down that report, uh, about the whistling, in the ALCS and kind of said it was a joke and, you know, was, uh, you know, he had a sort of air that rubbed some people the wrong way, especially when it came out that they had in fact been cheating. And, you know, I think, <clears throat> you know, Alex Cora, based on just what his players in Boston said and what his former players with Houston said, forged really deep connections with those guys and really, really was good at communicating with them, at motivating them, 
um, you know, at, at all the sort of things you want in a manager. And at the same time, according to Rob Manfred's report, he was also the conduit between the video room and the players. And so those deep mm-hmm. connections, you know, were kind of utilized as, you know, a cheating scheme. And so it really does, like, I under, you know, it, 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 there's going to be an ongoing reckoning with the Astros that is not going to end this winter, and it's going to continue for a long time. And I think every time that someone who is related to that cheating scheme tangentially or you know intimately involved comes back in the news, we're going to be confronted with all of the lingering uncertainty, the lingering resentment, uh, the lingering confusion about what exactly happened. You know, like I, I think. There's still a lot of people in the sport who, with no evidence that's been found by Major League Baseball, believe the cheating was ongoing as of last year. Mm-hmm. Now, again, there's no evidence of that that Major League Baseball was able to find. But talk to someone in baseball; they don't. Right. They don't. They don't believe that the report, and they don't believe that the cheating ended in 2018, as the report mm-hmm. states. They just don't believe it. No. So, and that is a, a part of a perception that is going to have to be answered for at some point. I wonder that. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. I think we're going to want it to be answered to. <laughs> yeah, right? Andy, yeah. right? Like, people are going to want to ask the questions. I and guess eventually, like, global warming is just going to get all of us. Yeah, I mean, that's... Right. Like, yeah, pretty much. The oceans are going to rise and we're all cooked anyhow. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. That's you know, you point. can't hear the trash cans underwater. So, like, you... <laughs> but, you know, like, that. at some point, I just think there's going to be a fatigue factor in this. Yeah. Like, the, the end quote in that story is that... Um, you know, the, the, every fall that comes, it's just an easier thing to do, right? To bring these guys in, right? It's one, the next one's easier than the one before it. And I think that kind of effect, it, it really extends out to every aspect of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get the, bl- the little brush fires that come up, right? When George Springer is at the press conference, the Zoom presser to announce he signed with another club. It's going to come up again, right? When when Hinch and Cora get their next job, which I'm convinced is going to happen sooner rather than later, it will come up again. But I'm not sure that I would bet any money that we're going to get anything more satisfying in the ensuing time that's passed. I, I honestly think that they're just going to continue to offer you know, whatever scraps or versions of the story they want to offer that are clearly not going to be satisfying to anybody within baseball and certainly not satisfying to the fans. Mm -hmm. And that's just going to be what it is. You know, global warming, as you say, will get us first anyway. Woo, let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. Ah, Well, Mark, we made it through the baseball season. We did. We did. Oh, my gosh. uh, You know, started poorly and ended poorly. Uh, but in between, there were a few weeks where they didn't have any positive tests, so that's a plus. Uh, a bunch of people got paid, uh, not just the players and coaches, but the staffers who, you know, uh, don't make seven figures, eight figures, nine mm-hmm. figures. Um, it's going to be a really ugly winter. It already is. Uh, teams have laid off hundreds of employees already. There's going to be furloughs. There's going to be pay cuts. Um, you know, it's going to be a bad winter for players in terms of free agency, but it's going to be far worse for people who don't have a chance to make life-changing sums. And, uh, I think that that is something that we're going to just keep an eye on, I guess, as we go through the winter. Um, and I think 
it's probably important, you know, when we're writing about how it's a tough market for players is to acknowledge sort of what else is going on and that it's not just, you know, players getting squeezed here. I think it's going to be really, really ugly. Um, I think the, the sort of wounds from the summer of the fight between the labor force and the owners are going to resurface all over again. And uh, it's going to be gross. But uh, yeah. other than that, you know. <laughs> well, look, like, first of all, congratulations to the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, I thought they had Yeah, they ruined season. analytics. Thank you. They, <laughs> thanks for breaking the numbers, You ended guys. analytics. Uh, Way to go, guys. They, uh, I thought they were a fun team to watch. Yeah, very good and, team. Very good club. Uh, Randy Rosarina kind of showing up the way he did, but also just, you know, they've got a lot of good ball players there. And it's unfortunate that, you know, they didn't really hit the way they had earlier in the season. Like they weren't like an outstanding offensive club, but they weren't bad yeah. either. They were somewhere in the middle. And had they gone, you know, and performed somewhere in the middle, I think this is, you know, we're, we're probably waiting to record this after game seven, tonight, frankly. <laughs> right, 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 right. But right. And nonetheless, congrats to them. Obviously, congrats to the Dodgers. Um, you know, like what an excellent team. I, I wish we could have seen it over a buck 62. But my goodness, were they good? Are they good? Because they're going to be good again. They're, they're here to stay. And, yeah. And so congrats to them. Um, you know, yeah. Like I, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this stuff as it unfolds. And I, but it, it's going to be a rough winter. And it's kind of why I, I'm bummed about the way the World Series ended as far as like us talking about Justin Turner and like yeah. bad decisions. Because, <clears throat> you know, I think we needed a little bit of sunshine to get us through the next little bit here because it is going to be rough um you know and it's not just the players like you say there's a lot of scouts uh, that are feeling anxiety you got mm -hmm. people that work in the ticket office that are feeling this yep. anxiety you've got yep. trainers and and on and on like there's just so many people behind the scenes that make this thing go and yeah those people are, are already feeling it they're going to keep feeling it and, um, i think it's an important thing to keep an eye on as you said yeah. which we're going to do we're going to yeah. keep an eye on it yeah. Well, we wanted to also say thank you to you, the listener, for uh, sticking with us through this very strange year. Um, it's been a, you know, an interesting time to sort of debut a show. Um, but I know that, uh, you know, speaking for myself, I've had a really good time. You know, uh, it's been great to see Mark's hair on a regular basis. <laughs> it's uh, got longer. It, yeah. It's you're doing uh, your. Yeah. I don't. Come I don't on, care. That's not bad. Uh, well, no? I, you know, you got rid of the hole. So that's good. I, that's good. So that's a that's a George huge King up. called it the um, the the divot from a seven iron. Yeah, and I thought that was pretty accurate. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back next week, and we really appreciate uh, all the rates and reviews we're getting. Uh, thank you. So stay safe and have a good one. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.